250 foot stone Stephen Austin is not impressed <laughs> howdy you're listening to come and take it a talk show about Texas by Texans where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history culture and just what it means to be Texan I'm Mike Zolkowski and I'm Sean McIver and I'm Scott Elfstrom we all know about the Republic of Texas that glorious time in history where the lands that would eventually become the state made up an independent country. But the Texas Revolution of 1835 would not be the first or last rebellion to try and form an independent nation out of the territory. But first, what's your favorite state that borders Texas? Um, I'm going to go with the Gulf of Mexico. No, just kidding. Um, if I had to pick something other than Texas, um, since it can't really border itself, I guess... Then I'll go with Arkansas, because um, I've been through there to visit family, and it's a lovely place. I'm certainly not going to say Oklahoma, because they don't, they water down their beer, and they charge you for playing blackjack. Uh, I guess I'd say Louisiana, because they make boudin there, and boudin is delicious. This is a tough question, because every time you guys say something, it eliminates a possibility for me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to go with the original state of Texas, Coahuila. Oh. Yeah, that is a state. It is a state. Um, Look it up. <laughs> Perhaps the land of Texas breeds rebellion, or maybe bouts of chaos and or tyranny that permeated its early history would infuriate any freedom-loving person. Whatever the case, the Texas Revolution was only one of many that sprung up in Mexico's first turbulent decades. At various times, there were significant independence movements that declared other republics in Sonora, Zatecas, California, and the Yucatan. But even before 1835, and certainly after, there were different efforts within Texas itself to create separate republics. We're going to talk about two of those, the Republic of Fredonia and the Republic of the Rio Grande. These republics were both a cause to and a result of the Texas Revolution in some very surprising ways. The Republic of Fredonia was the first attempt by Anglos to create a nation independent from Mexico within the borders of Texas. It formed on December 16, 1826, when Benjamin Edwards rode in an Nacogdoches and declared his brother Hayden's colony an independent nation. Who were the Edwards brothers, and how did they get to Texas to cause so much trouble? Hayden and his younger brother Benjamin were born in Virginia to John Edwards, a planter who took his family into the Kentucky Territory, which was then administered by Virginia in 1780. There, Edwards became an important plantation owner and statesman who helped Kentucky achieve statehood and was one of the state's first senators. The Edwards boys grew up around wealth and power and acquired reputations for having attitudes to match. They moved to Mississippi where they acquired a plantation early in their life. Hayden studied law, but his primary business interest, like his father and most men of the West at the time, was land speculation. Land speculation on the frontier was an enterprise that was only barely on the cusp of legitimacy, and it tended to require a certain mm, flexibility of morals and practices. So you're saying most of those guys were probably crooks? No, it was just... No more than Jibui. Right. <laughs> it was more that there was just... You kind of had to take take everything with a grain of salt. How do you say? Hmm. Yeah, take these legal papers with a grain of salt. Exactly. Hayden gathered a lot of wealth and a lot of debt and was always looking for the next big score. When word reached the states that the new Republic of Mexico had granted Moses Austin's petition for the colonization of Texas, Hayden jumped at the opportunity. 
He traveled to Mexico City in 1823 to lobby for his own grant and became acquainted with Stephen F. Austin, who at the time was trying to sort out the mess that his father's death had left, while navigating the constantly changing political situation. Austin was not impressed with Edwards and found him arrogant, quick-tempered, and overbearing. While they were in Mexico City, they were joined by other would-be impresarios, and they worked together to lobby the Mexican government to allow them to settle Anglos in Texas. They finally succeeded when the General Colonization Law of 1824 was passed. Hayden Edwards was given an impresario grant to settle 800 families in East Texas between the border and the Navasota River. This included Nacogdoches, the second largest and oldest town in Texas, and the former Neutral Strip, a lawless area on the U.S.-Mexico border. The area was attractive to Edwards because some of the few roads in the state passed through the town, and it was close enough to the U.S. to quickly attract new settlers. He arrived there in August of 1825 to set up shop and sent word to his brother Benjamin to join them. And this is pretty much the point when trouble began. When he got to his new colony, Hayden found it full of people already living and working there on his land that he wanted to sell. Edwards mistakenly believed that he had much more power than he actually did, including the right to determine the validity of existing land grants. He immediately began demanding written proof of ownership of the lands of people already living there. Anyone unable to provide this proof would have to forfeit their land, which Edwards planned to sell at auction. In addition to the obvious greed that drove this policy, there was undoubtedly some prejudice behind his declaration. Edwards certainly knew that most of the poor Anglo citizens in the area were either squatters or they had been duped by previous land speculators and thus did not have valid written titles. Remember that Anglo settlement in Texas had technically been illegal under Spanish rule. The Tejano citizens had much more legitimate claims, but they had mostly been granted their lands 70 or more years earlier, and few of those documents survived so long. Knowing the anger and discord that this declaration was going to cause, two Mexican officials, Mayor Luis Priscilla and Land Commissioner José Antonio Sopoveda, validated many old titles so the holders would have official documentation. Since this went against what he was trying to accomplish, Edwards accused the men of actually forging deeds. While this was technically true, since they were just writing new deeds to cover what they knew was true, still technically illegal, it did nothing to help Edwards' popularity with the residents in the area, especially since what he was doing was just as, if not more, illegal. Tensions also rose when Edwards organized a local militia, which had been one of the requirements the Mexican government imposed as part of his contract. Sepulveda, a man he had just accused of forging documents, was elected by the members of the militia as its commander, a blatant sign of his popularity with the citizens. For obvious reasons, Edwards was not pleased with this result. In another abuse of his power as impresario, he nullified the result, then declared himself commander. Which, I guess you can do when you're impresario. You just nullify elections. It's democracy. It's the Santa Ana way. Yes, the Santa Ana way. And speaking of democracy, soon after ignoring the results of this election, Edwards, either blissfully unaware of his powers or simply willfully changing them to his liking, called for the election of a new mayor. This was, of course, completely out of the realms of his authority. The two candidates put forth were Edwards' son-in-law, Chichester Chaplin, a man with the power of alliteration on his side, <laughs> and Samuel Norris, a Mississippi man who'd been in Nacogdoches since 1803 and was married into a local Tejano family. Who, who do you think will win? <laughs> For understandable reasons, these two candidates quickly came to represent the two opposing sides. The newcomer colonists invited to the area by Edwards and the long-term residents that were already living there. This time it was Edwards' favorite who won. 
a fact that most early residents assumed was because of poll box chicanery. And they were probably right. Edwards did count the votes. <laughs> For obvious reasons, they protested the, to the authorities in Bayhart. I reject your election and substitute it with my own. Yeah. So apparently they believe that, uh, apparently the people in Bayer also believe that elections were rigged. And they simply recognize the fact that there shouldn't have been an election at all. Uh, Juan Antonio Sacedo, the original governor who had authority over the area, overturned the results and he declared Norris the winner. Edwards responded by simply ignoring Norris's attempts at enforcing his authority. So wash, rinse, and repeat. Yeah. Now, despite the instability and discord in his colony, Hayden Edwards went back to the U.S. soon after Sacedo's decision to seek more colonists to sell land to. Ah, I think it's going to work. Now, presumably, in his mind, this is going to shift the balance of power to his side. He left his brother Benjamin in charge, and Benjamin was unable to maintain even the veneer of control and authority in the colony, and a vigilante group arose to harass the newcomers. When Benjamin complained to the authorities, rather than heeding his complaints, they simply revoked the land grant. This decision was likely influenced by the rumors, which are probably true, that Hayden's trip to the U.S. was so he could raise an army. More likely, though, it was simply because the brothers had proved to be more trouble than they were worth from the beginning. Yeah, they were probably like, you guys, just go. Yeah, just get out <laughs> of here. We're done. I just like the idea of the vigilante group. Oh, Texas Batman. Well, yeah, they, they, well, what they do is they they kick the door down of a of a of a settler's house and say, "Show us your deed," and they'd say, "Well, Edward gave me this deed. Well, this fellow right here has lived here for forty years." So predictably, the Edwards brothers ignored both this revocation and accompanying declaration that banished both brothers from Mexico. While this defiance was at least partially due to their rebellious nature, they did have a fifty thousand dollar investment in the land grant. That's about a million dollars in today's money, so it's nothing to sneeze at, for sure. The final spark occurred in October of 1826. Norris finally pushed Edwards too far and evicted a newcomer from lands that were claimed by an existing settler. Later that month, he issued an arrest warrant for popular newcomer and Edwards' family friend, Martin Palmer, for allegedly murdering an old settler. Palmer responded by riding into town with 40 men and arrested Norris, Sepulveda, and Hayden Edwards for corruption of office, and in Edwards' case for failing to adhere to the Mexican government's orders to leave. <laughs> Edwards was immediately paroled, likely because he had helped organize and inspire the whole deal, and his arrest was to give him cover in the matter. You know, it's like, hey, we're going to arrest you too. It's like being a CI for the, yeah, the police. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Norris and Sepulveda were tried and expelled from the town. It didn't take long for the Mexican officials to catch wind of the situation, and they dispatched a cavalry force to arrest Palmer, the Edwards brothers, and their supporters. Benjamin and Hayden decided their best bet was to go all in and rebel against the Mexican governor. The brothers hoped that the bold move would inspire Anglos in the area, as well as back in the U.S., to rally to their cause, and it would gain them enough support to hold the territory they claimed as their own private country. With about 30 supporters, Benjamin rode back into Nacogdoches, seized the old stone fort, which was really just a house built out of stone that could be barricaded in case the Indians attacked, and he declared the area independent of Mexican rule. He proclaimed the new Republic of Fredonia. He said, The flag of liberty now floats in triumph on the soil of Texas. Americans are daily rallying around it with determination to support their rights or die in the defense. Now, in keeping with this impressive audacity, Benjamin claimed not only just the land granted to his brother's grant, but all the land from the Sabine River to the Rio Grande. Of course, if you're going to claim it. If you're going to rebel, you might as well rebel go big. Bigger, go, go, go big or go, go home. home. And that's what they were doing. 
Though declaring land that you don't really own is now an independent nation might seem pretty ridiculous today. At the time, however, the Mexican government took it as a serious threat. For one thing, the borders of the different nations were not nearly as defined at the time as we think of them today. Nacogdoches was so close to the U.S. that the last thing Mexico wanted to do was take the chance of losing that area to the United States. Paranoia about the Americans was not the only reason why the Mexican government took the rebellion seriously. To add to their suspicions that one or both of the Edwards brothers were American agitators, Benjamin Edwards managed to negotiate a treaty with the Cherokee that would give them half of Texas in return for military aid. Showing how seriously they took the threat, Mexican officials added 110 men to the cavalry company that was headed to Nacogdoches with instructions to swiftly put down the rebellion. The expedition stopped in Austin's colony to judge the loyalty of the colonists there. Any doubt was immediately put to rest as Austin denounced the revolution in Fredonia and 250 militiamen from his colony joined the official Mexican military forces to quell it. I don't think he was impressed with Edwards. No. No. 250-foot stone Stephen Austin is not impressed. It's like, well, I knew it would come to this. <laughs> Further evidence of what Austin thought of the rebellion might be best summed up in his response to the invitation to join the rebellion he received from the brothers. He said, You are deluding yourselves, and this delusion will ruin you. <laughs> he also said that crazy people have taken over up there. In the meantime, the old settlers at Edwards Colony who didn't support the Fredonia Republic didn't have the patience to wait for the Mexican army's response. Norris returned, and he led 80 men who were loyal to Mexico in an attempt to retake the old stone fort from the rebels. Though there were only 20 defenders inside the fort, the rebels managed to rout the attackers in just about 10 minutes. This victory was short-lived, though, as a group of 70 militiamen led by Peter Ellis Bean rode into Nacogdoches on January 31st. Now, Bean was an American who would live a life of adventure, and he was the sole survivor of the Nolan Expedition, which was the very first filibuster attempt in Texas in 1790. Yeah, and remember, filibuster was kind of a private land uh, invasion. Attack, yeah. invasion. Private yeah. invasion, yeah. So yeah, It's like land pirates. Right, of. right. So he was the only survivor of that very first expedition. I want to watch land pirates. <laughs> <laughs> he had long since, though, dedicated himself to Mexico, and he had no sympathy for Edward's cause. Now, given their recent victory, the rebels might still have fought had they not also recently found out that the Cherokees had abandoned their treaty with the Fredonians. Uh-oh. Now, the reason the Cherokee gave up the treaty was simple enough. When the Mexican government found out that the Cherokee had aligned themselves with the Fredonians, they approached the tribe through their agent to the Cherokee, Peter Ellis Bean. <laughs> Bean told them that Mexico would grant the tribe additional lands, and he framed the whole thing as a misunderstanding. It's like, don't mind these guys over here in... East Texas. He told the Cherokee that they obviously had gone through the wrong channels to gain their land grant, and if they reapplied using the proper procedures, Mexico would grant it. Austin had also written the Cherokee leaders, warning them that if they take the wrong course, they are lost. Historian H.W. Brands, in his book Lone Star Nation, makes the point that even among the Cherokee, there was question why their leaders would think they'd get better treatment from the Americans than the Mexicans, given the treatment they'd gotten from those same people back east. Ultimately, the choice of who to side with was not difficult, and they returned to their homes and sat out the conflict. Without the support they expected of either Austin's colony or their Cherokee allies, and the request for aid from the United States denied, the Edwards brothers and their remaining supporters lost their taste to fight. Instead of trying to hold the fort they'd laid claim to, they fled. Bean chased them all the way to the Sabine River, 
but most of the rebels crossed over into the United States. The Edwards brothers, who'd lost millions by today's standards, returned to Mississippi and didn't return to Texas until the more successful revolution a decade later. The Republic of Fredonia would be barely a footnote in Texas history if not for the fact that it was symbolic of what was happening and what was to come. It served as something of a blueprint and a test run for the eventual revolution that would lead to Texas independence. If nothing else, it highlighted the tensions and frustrations felt by many American colonists towards their Mexican rulers. At the very least, it highlighted the discomfort that they felt with the Mexican system and the way of doing things. Now, for right or wrong, over the next decade, this conflict would color attitudes on both sides. Though they never actually raised a hand against the Mexican forces, the fact that the Cherokee had even considered siding with the rebels caused Mexican government to suspect their motivations not only of that tribe, but also of all the native tribes in Texas. Only a quick request for peace kept there from being a general war between the Mexican army and all the native tribes of Texas. The Mexican government also grew more suspicious of the United States. Even before the rebellion, Mexican officials suspected that the U.S. was setting up agitators in the Mexican colonies. Given the way the Edwards brothers behaved, it is perfectly understandable that the Mexican authorities suspected they were spies and U.S. agents sent to stir up trouble. Not only was the garrison in Nacogdoches reinforced as a reaction to these reinforced suspicions, but an expedition was also sent out to examine and assess all the colonies in Texas. One of the results of this expedition was the laws of April 6, 1830, which severely restricted further immigration into Texas. These restrictions upset not only recent immigrants, but also Mexican-born citizens. This added further discontent, which would eventually lead to the Texas Revolution. As historian W.B. Bates once remarked, the revolt was, quote, premature, but it sparked the powder for later success. Though the Republic of Fredonia was a sort of dry run for the Texas Revolution, rebellious feelings within the nation's borders did not stop when the Republic gained its independence. Texas borders were far from defined or acknowledged by the Mexican government, or the Republic of Texas for that matter. So there was a great deal of room for others to put forward their claims to independence. Remember that Texas claimed the land to the Rio Grande, but Mexico claimed that the border was with the Nueces River further north. It was this confusion that played into the creation of the Republic of the Rio Grande. This republic began on January 17, 1840, four years after the end of the Texas Revolution, with a meeting of a number of notable figures from the states of Coahuila, Nueva Leon, Tamaulipas, on the Oravina Ranch, located near Laredo. These leaders were united in their opposition to our old friend Santa Ana, who'd once again taken power in Mexico. At that meeting, they declared their states to be a single independent nation and set up a government with Jesus de Cardinia as president and Antonio Canales selected to be commander-in-chief of the army. Almost immediately after this meeting, they declared a new nation into existence. The government of the Republic of the Rio Grande moved their capital from Laredo to Guerrero in the state of Tamaulipas for security reasons. The location would also be temporary until the Battle of Morales in March, when they moved again, this time to Victoria in the Republic of Texas. The Battle of Morales occurred on March 24th and 25th in Coahuila when Canales' army met Mexican forces under the command of General Mariano Artista. Though it took two days of fighting, the rebels were defeated at this battle and several members of the rebel army's cavalry were captured and tried for treason. Of course, they were found guilty and, in keeping with Santa Ana's modus operandi, were executed on March 29th. This group included the commander of the Republic of the Rio Grande's cavalry, Colonel Jose Antonio de Zapata. After Morales' defeat, General Canales and his remaining forces fled into the Republic of Texas, seeking refuge in San Antonio. 
why a group of men who were hoping to carve a country out of a territory claimed by the Republic of Texas thought they might receive assistance from them is hard to tell. But it seems that Canales and his fellow revolutionaries received more than a little support from Texas. In fact, in April, Canales met with President Mirabeau B. Lamar. Though Lamar did not give any official approval, it had been suggested that he privately supported the action of the Republic of the Rio Grande. It was only the fact that he believed supporting them publicly would hamper attempts to have the Republic of Texas independence recognized that prevented him from giving them official recognition. My suspicion is that maybe they figured, you know, we've got all this land, we're not going to be able to do anything with all of it anyway, we might as well let them have it. Well, this was around the time of the Santa Fe expedition, so probably he thought, I, I can give away this scrub desert in the south and I get all this land in yeah. plus, New Mexico. Plus it follows the same philosophy as Spain when they were allowing settlers uh, to Mexico, put a, yeah. a buffer between well, Mexico and the Republic. Well, it's all part of Mirabeau B. Lamar's re-election campaign, <laughs> batting a thousand. <laughs> Although he didn't receive official recognition from Texas, the Republic of the Rio Grande did receive some grassroots supports from the public. Canales traveled through the country both before and after his meeting with Lamar to raise awareness of his cause and to recruit volunteers to aid them in their rebellion. From his meeting with the president in Austin, he went to Houston to gather volunteers and then to San Patricio, where rebel forces had been gathering and reorganizing. Though not particularly impressive, the revolutionary forces did manage to add 140 Texan and 80 Native American volunteers, in addition to their original 300 volunteers. In late June, Canales sent Colonel Samuel W. Jordan and about 90 Texan volunteers into the disputed territory south of the Rio Grande. They took Cuidad, Victoria, capital of Tamaulipas, without any resistance. Jordan was urged by some of his scouts to push on to San Luis Potosi. These men were secretly loyal to the Mexican government and were trying to lead him into an ambush. Jordan wisely suspected the loyalty of these men and instead went to Saltillo in Coahuila. Though he avoided the trap in San Luis Potosi, in October he and his forces were attacked by Mexican General Rafael Vasquez in Saltillo. Despite the fact that some of Jordan's troops deserted, he was able to fend off the Mexican forces and managed to retreat back to the Republic of Texas. In November, representatives from Canales and Arista met to discuss the war. Like gentlemen do. And I, can, I just can picture it in my mind. Let, let's have some scotch. And then we're going to move these little figures around the board and talk about how we're going to kill each other. <laughs> Perhaps as an effect of just how civilized this exchange was, the Mexican government offered Canales the position of Brigadier General in the Mexican army in return for agreeing to abandon his cause. That's like, you know, Saddam Hussein saying, General Schwarzkopf. You come be general in, a, in Iraq, and we'll call this whole thing off. That would have been awesome. <laughs> Perhaps the civility of the exchange was why Canales accepted the offer. When he took this deal on November 6, 1840, the rebellion of the Republic of the Rio Grande essentially ended, less than 10 months after it started, as there were no more military commanders to step in and take his place. Perhaps someone left a light grenade laying on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Deep Cuts. Super deep. You're listening to Deep Cuts with Scott Elstrom. <laughs> Again, the Republic of the Rio Grande would be little more than a footnote in Texas history, but for a few interesting facts. Perhaps the most interesting thing about it is how much territory belonged to the Republic of Texas it claimed, especially since the government of the Republic of Texas not only allowed them to seek support, but also seemed supportive themselves. One of the states that made up the Republic of the Rio Grande, Tamaulipas, 
extended all the way up to the Nueces River, and the other, Coahuila, went all the way up to the Medina River. This meant that a great deal of land was claimed by both countries. This area includes modern cities like Laredo and Brownsville, and the border was not far away from San Antonio or Goliath. Now, despite how short-lived this movement for an independent nation was, it has had a somewhat long-lasting impact on the state of Texas. Both Zapata County and the city of Zapata were named after the commander of the cavalry, who was executed at Morales. Additionally, the Laredo Morning Times includes the flag of the Republic of the Rio Grande on their banner as the seventh flag over Texas. Memories would be long for the people of the Rio Grande Valley, and in many ways, if they'd been able to successfully resist the Mexican government, it would have been a much more attractive option for the residents than the Anglo-dominated Texas proved to be in its earliest days. Resentment on the parts of the Tejano residents of South Texas and Mexicans along the border would continue for decades, and in many ways the Republic of the Rio Grande would be seen as their last lost chance to have a free nation of their own. These are kind of fun footnotes to mm-hmm. Texas history. Yeah. Um, more so for us in, in our culture and where we live in Texas and our experience, I think, in schools. But, you know, Fredonia is funny because it's just like, oh, these couple of crazy wild guys showed up and... Yeah. yeah. And, well, I'm going to say the thing about Fredonia is like, yeah, it was kind of ridiculous and these guys were obviously overstepping the bounds they've been given, but I think it also was kind of a signal to the Anglo settlers that the Mexican government is going to be heavy-handed when they want to be and they might not be have access to the freedom that they want to have. One of my favorite books, one of my favorite books in Texas history is called Texas History Movies. It's a collection of cartoon strips from the 1920s from Dallas Morning News and there's a several pages devoted to the Fredonia Republic and to Hayden Edwards and just the picture of him in the book is great because he's this tall lanky fellow with shock of white hair and always holding a cigar and you know when when you read about him and what all he said and this the de- depictions of him it makes me think of Foghorn Leghorn like <laughs> say yeah son I'm gonna come in here to Texas and take this land and 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 that's really the the image that I get of 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 Edwards and he, re- he really wanted the easier option. Austin picked the land that was good for farming, mm-hmm. the, the bottom land of the, Brazos, of the Brazos River and the Brazos Valley. Edwards picked the land closest to the U.S. because he thought, hey, I'll get people in here quickly. I'll sell this land. There's already roads here. There's a town. It'll be great. I'm going to get rich. There was already people there. <laughs> it was said earlier, Austin thought he was a braggart and he was a loudmouth yeah. and he didn't like him. Yeah, Austin it, was not impressed. No, no. And Austin only had to deal with Jug Hunter, you know. But <laughs> but imagine a whole colony full of Jug Hunters of, what was the guy's name? Uh, Bailey. Yeah, Bailey. Britt Brit Bailey. Britt Bailey, who was a cantankerous, honorary SOB, who was a squatter. Yeah. Well, the whole Edwards colony was full of these people. And if if Edwards had been more above board and honest and less overbearing and less uh, pretentious, it might have looked a little more favorably on his his rebellion. But the fact was that he was very self-serving in his rebellion. And so his, it's hard to find a good guy in this situation. Yeah. Well, let's be honest. I mean, Fredonia is dangerously close to Louisiana. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, you know, it's in that gray area where we in an earlier recommended said, you know, keep a good 50 to 100 miles between... <laughs> Texas. Other states and where you live in Texas. Yes. And the the Republic of the Rio Grande, it is a footnote because it only lasted 10 months. But it's really interesting. The, it's much more lasting effect, I think, for the people of that area. Mm-hmm. If you know people from the valley or you visit the valley, there's a cultural divide between what the valley represents and what 
sort of central, south, east, west Texas represent. Mm -hmm. and, and I think there's an identification there of, you know, being in that border culture. And it would have been an interesting sort of historical Harry Turtledove moment to say, well, what if this revolution worked and there was now a buffer country that existed between modern Texas and the United States and, and Mexico? Yeah, the Mexican War may not have happened. At all, or it may have been very different, or who knows? I mean, you're right. It is a it is a what if situation, mm -hmm. um, and it and it's a little sad because nobody really, not many people died in the Fredonian Revolt. In the Fredonian Revolt, several people did die in the the Re Republic of the Rio Grande. So it's a lost sacrifice, and 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 that kind of permeates the story, and it kind of overcomes the the comedy of errors of two generals sitting down to say to have a glass of brandy to talk about their war. Um, well, there's a different time of fighting too. I right. mean, like this, but I, I, I think it's interesting when you we see, you know, once again our our Darth Vader or our yeah. our Emperor shows up in terms of Santa Ana shows up and and all the fun goes out of war as soon as that guy shows up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wars are fun unless Santa Ana shows up. Woohoo! Yeah, way to spoil the right. party, Santa Ana. But to back to the Fredonian thing, the to the Fredonian rebellion. It, there was still underlying problems, and it, and it really illustrates the problems were there from the start. The problems were there from the start because they were setting up these guys as impresarios, and the intention all along for Mexico was, is we'll bring in these Anglos to form cushion between us and the Indian, you know, the, the Indian nations that were rampaging the, the frontier, and then we'll use them as a as a will allow it to kind of create a buffer between the U.S. and us. Right. You know, they they were political pawns, but the overwhelming, like, desire for the land grab and just to, to have a little piece of something mm -hmm. was enough for people to jump through whatever hoops and whatever paperwork. I mean, it's interesting because these guys sound like get-rich-quick, but they, they had millions invested in it. And when you read the story of what Stephen F. Austin goes through to get the colonies there and in terms of all the political machinations that are going on in Mexico and how long, you know, it's years of work to get these impresario ships. But what Mexico didn't realize, and, and it is really a clash of cultures, but what Re Mexico didn't realize was that the Americans were coming and they were going to come and take this land, whether Mexico wanted it or not, whether the Comanches wanted it or not, whether the, the, whoever wanted it or not, they were going to come in and they were going to, and just like they'd done from the East coast all the way to the Mississippi river. Now they were coming across the Mississippi river into the, the lands of the West. And there's apparently a very nice museum in Laredo devoted to the Republic of the Rio Grande. So if anybody's in Laredo, in Laredo for any reason, uh, I would definitely take a look at the Republic of the Rio Grande museum. Yeah. And there may have been a perception from Mexico, that these Anglos were going to move in and become Mexican citizens, whereas the Anglos were not thinking that at all. They no, were thinking, they were we're going to create our colony, and we're going to live our free life on the frontier, and I'm not going to be a Mexican. I'm going to be me. I'm mm -hmm. not necessarily even going to be an American anymore. I just want to do my own thing. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast. Or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. Follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. 
We'd like to thank our friend James Abendroth for helping us research and write this episode. You can find him on Twitter at BlackguardPress or visit him at BlackguardPress.com. If you like the show, tell your friends and please leave a review on iTunes. It's the one thing you can do that really helps us out in terms of rankings. Reviews and ratings on iTunes will help us move up the invisible charts and get us noticed by new listeners. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas Texas wants you anyway.